0: One of the things that's happening in our culture today is that we have blended so many theological thoughts, and sometimes that gets us in trouble, because we do not keep them separate. Church and salvation are two different entities, and we don't understand that. The reason I say we don't understand it because you'll ask some people, "Are you saved?" and they'll say, "Yeah, I I go to church." I go. No, I didn't ask what church you went to. I asked you, "Are you saved?" That's different. That's different. But we blended the two to make them similar. And to somehow think of them as the same. We've just blended them together. But these two elements together as though they are one or the same thing. Church does not mean you are saved. There's a lot of lost people who attend church. Everyone who attends church is not saved. Everybody who say they're saved aren't saved. And there is a difference. But we've lost the ability to see that difference. Because the assumption is that if I just say that I'm saved, I don't have to show forth any fruits or any attitude or any characteristics that I'm saved. I just say that I'm saved and therefore I'm saved. And a lot of us put it in this fashion I know God. If I start talking about God, you know very little about God. But yet you know God. The question is, or the answer might be, God really knows us. And He knows us when our mouth is not tied to our hearts. For he says, with the mouth, many will call me Lord, Lord, but their hearts are far from me. And the whole process is to understand there is that difference between church and salvation. A thing that has a definite individual existence anything that is real within itself is its own entity. The church is real. But what makes up the church are those who are saved. Salvation is real. But what causes salvations to be real is that God have saved or delivered one from sin. Church and salvation are real in themselves, but yet two separate entities with two separate functions. And oftentimes we try to blend those functions together. They are interdependent upon each other though. It really does take saved people to really bring about what God intends for the church to be. It takes saved people. Now, I didn't say perfect people. Saved people are imperfect people. And oftentimes we don't recognize that. Saved people got a bag of problems that the Holy Spirit is going to deal with. Saved people can be some of the most arrogant, rude, ignorant individuals you ever want to meet. And it's only by the blood of Christ (laughs) that one is saved. Yet, they're in church. And we're in church for a reason, to sharpen each other, to challenge each other, to teach each other, to help each other. We're in church. The one who is saved needs the church in order to grow and to be educated. The church needs the one that is saved in order to carry out. The will of God and what God so desires His people to do. God didn't call an assembly to just come in and sit, He called a group of people that they might function and carry out His will. They're independent of each other, they need each other, but they're separate entities. Neither entity, and this is the reality of it, neither entity functions well without the other. What do I mean? You hear too many people today say, I don't need to go to church to be saved. Yeah, you're right. But you're one dumb, ignorant, backward, individual Christian. You have a lot of self-knowledge, but you have very little biblical knowledge. It's almost like saying to a doctor, yeah, you got your MD, but I hate to be that first person that a surgeon (laughs) operates on. (laughs) I don't want to be that first one, (laughs) but he always got to have his first one. But the thing is, usually on his first attempt at performing a surgery, there's another medical doctor right there with him. Because it is his first one. And as a Christian, you need another Christian right alongside of you that is faithful to the Lord. That is steadfast. Unmovable. And will speak to you. The word of God. And you likewise to him. Because you're going to encourage each other. And the body of Christ is meant to encourage. The church is meant to encourage one another. That's why we meet. To be encouraged. Because we cannot exist isolated from the church. That's like having a baby and then isolating the mother or the rest of the family from the child and allow that baby to grow on its own. Now there's a possibility it might grow if it's a Tarzan and the apes come along and feed it and so forth and take care of it. But in most cases, if that baby is isolated from all the support that it has need of, it's going to die. The Christian, basically the same thing. If it's isolated from the church, in a sense, literally die because they have no function for the Lord. Because the people of God, believe it or not, even though we don't see it sometimes, we function as a unit, not as an individual. Let me give you an example. Gus Brown could have not done this building by himself. Gus Brown could have not have purchased this property by himself. Nothing at this church could have happened just with Gus Brown. Nor could it just happen with one individual. I don't care who you pick up. But collectively, we were able to do it. Collectively, Israel moved for the Lord. Collectively, the body of Christ moves for the Lord. And we move from different positions for the Lord. This church, that church, and the church over there, they might look similar and function similarly, but they are doing different things for the glory of the Lord. Both entities have need of each other. For the church to carry out the will of God and to really know the will of God, It is really dependent upon the saints that pray and seek God's face to know that will for that we can move in unity for the glory of God. The church needs the saints, but the saints need the church because it's in the church, it's where the educational piece comes from that we're going to learn of our God. Church means simply called out. You're called out of the world into the church. You're called out of one mindset in order to gain a new mindset. You're called out of one way of thinking in order to learn how God thinks. You're being called out of one thing to be placed into another. You're being called out of the world in order to be placed into the church, which is the body of Christ, and the Holy Spirit takes you and places you in the body of Christ where you function in that church for the glory of God. It's also called the assembly or the congregation, it's where those who are saved meet. In order to tackle the things that God wants done and do it together. Salvation means the act of snatching one out of a crisis. Out of pearls, out of trouble. Being saved is a life from death. Or being snatched away from the penalty of of sin, which is death. That you are removed from the penalty of sin by the grace of God through Jesus Christ who saves you, but saves you with a purpose. He's not saving you that you only miss hell. And too many people in church think that's the only reason for which they are saved. That they will not go to hell. You are saved in order to step into. And understand this. Salvation is only a step into a relationship with another living being called God. Who you are to grow in a relationship with. If you meet a person, a new person, you've never met them before. If you like that person, you do step into a relationship with that person or try to. And in that relationship, you begin to learn each other. You begin to understand each other. You enjoy each other's company. You enjoy being with each other and communicating with each other. That's the relationship then that is developed through this thing that is called salvation. You begin to learn about God. You don't learn about God. Yes, you can read all the history books. You can read the Bible. You can have some knowledge about God, but you really don't learn about God until you enter a relationship. How many of you know the person Donald Trump? How many of you have a relationship with a Donald Trump? How many of you would want to have a relationship with a Donald Trump? But yet we know of a Donald Trump, but we're not in a friendly, growing, healthy relationship with a Donald Trump. And that makes the difference. You can know about God and not be in a relationship with God. And what God has called you into is a relationship. Now, what well, I want you to recognize, and we want to get into, boy, I thought I was going to be able to do all this in one session. I'm not. But what I want to take and show you today. God's desire to be in a relationship with his people. I want you to know this. God is always chasing you. I wish I was chasing him. But he's always chasing after me, he's always calling me. He's always in love with me. I wish I could say I've always loved God and sometime even now that I would love him as much as he loved me. But he's always chasing me and he loves me. He loves you. And he chases after you because he does love you. There is something in history that is very similar. And what happens oftentimes when we are looking at the word Professor Dave used to tell us look for the clothesline. The clothesline was that thing that was similar from Old Testament to New Testament that you pin things on. You ever catch mama's clothesline? She can have sheets here. She could have shirts here. She could have socks over here and some other things over here. But they were all on what? One line. And they were all usable by us. That's what we want to sometimes look between Old Testament and New Testament. That clothesline that you hang something on and it travels from Old Testament through New Testament. Yes, there are difference. A pair of socks will not be a shirt. A shirt will not be a pair of socks. The sheets will not be the dining room cloth, the dining room tablecloth, although we used it sometimes is that it is a little different. But they were all for our use. What was ever on that clothesline was intended for our use. History is similar from old to new. And we want to be able to understand the differences between these three entities this morning we're going to talk about. Because they start in one area, end up in the other. But they all have a certain similarity. Although they are uniquely different, they have a similarity the three are different and they have functions that are different but they also have functions that are very much alike the tabernacle the temple the church and I don't have time this morning to go through all three of them as much as I would like to go in depth so it's going to be brief but I think you will catch it and I think you will understand it Because each one of these are important. But yet they were stepping stones of how God also dealt with his people. But also what is most important is this. His dwelling with his people. His teaching of his people. And his desire to be with them. Go to Genesis 3.8. As Brother Beecher says, everything starts where at? That's a good theologian. Because it all does. You can go back to that first book and you can find things in Revelation all the way back in that first book. (laughs) In Genesis 3.8, Listen to what he says. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The first part of that is just tells us this. God is walking in the garden where he placed the man. Do we have any scriptures of Adam walking around in heaven? No. We don't have any scriptures of Adam, even like Paul, being caught up to the third heaven. So ask yourself, here's God down on earth walking around why wouldn't adam up in heaven walking around very easy answer he had no way to get there <laughs> just like you and i we just can't take off for heaven but one day we'll take our flight as the obituary says But the thing is, is this, God always came to us. God always comes to us. Because man couldn't go where God is. God comes to where you are. My dad dad used to make this statement. He said, you know, I don't understand this about Christians why they always got to be in the ghetto to be saved? <laughs> he said, they can be in a plush office and be a sinner <laughs> and need salvation. <laughs> they can be a millionaire and need salvation. They can be poor and need salvation. He said, in reality, we all need salvation, not those just in the ghetto, but everywhere. And he was right. All people need what? Salvation. And God comes to Adam. Because Adam couldn't go where God was. So God makes it possible that he comes and he talks with Adam. Now this is the only verse we have in this section of scripture that says, God walked in the garden. So therefore we assume that God made other trips into the garden and spoke with Adam, because it says that he did speak to the man. And because there was no sin, there was no separation between him and Adam. And he dwelt with his creation. He wanted to be in, he wanted to be part of that creation. He wanted to talk to those. He wanted to reveal himself. He wanted Adam to know him. He instructed Adam on what to do and what not to do. He instructed him. God is still instructing men on what to do and what not to do if we'll listen. He's still instructing. He's still coming to us. He's still talking to us. If we'll train our ears to hear. They say a baby knows a mother's heartbeat. That a baby knows a difference of whose arms it's in. Based on the heartbeat when you hold a child, that baby knows that heartbeat, but it knows that heartbeat of the mom. It'll become very much aware while living in the womb, that heartbeat. And understand this. When you are in a relationship with God, you'll learn the heartbeat. You'll learn the voice. You'll learn to hear. You'll learn to listen. You'll learn to be able to distinguish His voice between anybody else's voice. You'll learn it. And it said, he came and he walked with him. What does that say to us? What does it say to you? God comes to us. God speaks to us. God does it. He always comes to us. He always seeks us out. The tabernacle the first place of meeting with God and his people. From Adam to Moses now, there was no certain place in which God designated really for them to meet his people. When Moses went up to Mount Sinai, Moses went where? By himself. He went by himself. And God even said for the people, not even to crawl, not even come to the bottom of the foot of the hill. Or at least they would die. God gave them a boundaries. And the only one who could come up was Moses. But God wants to deal with all of us. And how is he going to deal with his people? How is he going to deal with all of us if he stays separated from us? And God is the one who says, Okay, I'll come live in tents. I'll come dwell in tents, just like you. Just like you. I'll come live in a tent. I'll come dwell in a tent. Now take that to Jesus Christ. He came in bodily form. He came in the tabernacle in which we live. He came in the body of a human being. God, in some miraculous way, and I can't explain it, put himself into the body of a man. Nurses, doctors, whatever. The blood of a child comes from who? The father. If the blood of the mother goes into that child, it may cause death to both of them. Only the life, and in a sense, the blood of God, could indwell Jesus in the womb of Mary. Not Mary's blood. Not Mary's life. For the seed of life comes from the Father. And he dwelt in human form. He dwelt in this tabernacle, just like his people. Go with me to Exodus 25, 8 and 9. Exodus 25. And God chose to do that. He chose to place himself there. And there's where he desired to dwell. Why? That's where his people were. So in Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9, he said, Then have them make a sanctuary. But look what he calls it. A sanctuary. What do we call this place? A sanctuary. A sanctuary is simply a place where we meet and worship the living God. And he says, build me a tabernacle, call it a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. What's the purpose of it? To dwell with his people. To dwell with his people. To be among his people. When you dwell with something, you're living with it. And he says, I want to live with my people. Even if it's in a tent. Yes, my home is in the heavens. My throne is in the heavens. I dwell in all my creation. Yes, the world is nothing but my footstool. Yes, I live in the universe. But I'm going to come and dwell in this tent. In this man made cloth thing called a tent, and I'm going to meet my people there. And he comes to dwell with his people because at this time his people cannot come and dwell with him. Can I ask you a question? You don't have to speak it out. Have you ever got to know somebody and you really like them? But boy, you won't go to their home. But you'll meet them out for coffee. Won't have coffee in their home. I can talk about John now because John is deceased. He is our neighbor over here lived in this house. Sometimes you have to tell John, John, it's time for a bath. John, close to 90, 91 years old, you know, said, John, uh, something saying you need a bath. When we went through the house, we knows why John didn't ever take a bath. And John would always offer you a glass of water. You want some water? You want something to drink? No, John, no. <laughs> I'm all right, John. Because you just look at the house. It's so cluttered. And you just have pathways to walk through. And you go in the kitchen. If you can imagine a kitchen in 1805, you would imagine John's kitchen. Nice as can be. Led John to the Lord out there in the yard, just talking with him. But going in that house, and John said, "You want something to drink? Or if he was eating, you want something?" To no, John, no, 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 <laughs> no, you know. But loved his relationship because of our sin. God says no, no, no. You're not ready to come up here. No, no, no. I'll come to your house, but you can't come to my house because of your sin. But he comes to us. He comes and dwells with us. And the purpose of the dwelling is that he might teach us. That he might teach us. So he comes and he dwells with his people that he might teach them. Go to Exodus 36. Exodus 36. Again, he's going to dwell with us. And Come down to that verse 8. Now here's somebody who could have the fineries of anything. You know, he could have him a home built that would look better than anybody's home. Live in the best of neighborhood. But he's living in this tabernacle. And he makes it so because at this time, Israelites are like no men. They're traveling constantly. They're hobos. They don't have nowhere to live. So they're always catching the next train coming through. They're always moving here and there. They're constantly on the go. And God says, wherever you go, I'm going to be right there with you in a sense. And look what he says there. All the skilled men among the workmen made the tabernacle with ten curtains. Curtains. That's all they had for you, God. Well, that's all God really required. Because He was going to move with us. He was going to be with us. Going over to Exodus 33, nine through thirteen. Exodus 33. Because, again, God wants to move with his people. He wants to be with his people. Look at 9 through 13. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down. Pillar of cloud representing who? God. The people would know when God was in the tent. People would know when God, in a sense, was at home here on earth. He would know. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. While the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and what? Worship. Why? Each at the entrance of his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaketh with his friend. And then Moses would return to the camp. The thing is, God would come down and the people would recognize when he's come down. When you come into church, And you hear the word of God. You have to distinguish between two things. Is man giving you his opinion and his knowledge? Or are you hearing from God? And does it move you? You have to distinguish that. You have to discern that. There's a lot of great oratory. There's a lot of great preachers, but you have to determine for yourself, is this of God or is this of man? Has the man met with God or is the man just making a living? You got to determine where is this coming from and the sincerity of it. Moses met with God in that tent. And then he had to what? Express it to who? To the people. And the people had to discern. Is this Moses? Or is this God? And one of the best ways for you to discern what it really is, is it really rooted in the word of God. If it's not coming from here concretely, then get up and run. But you want to stay steadfast in this word. And that's what you come to hear from. You didn't come to hear about politics. You didn't really come to hear about all of our woes and so forth. What you come to do is to learn of God that you can handle the woes. Go to Exodus 40, 36 through 40. Look how the people have become attentive to this cloud coming down where God dwells and so forth. Because it's important to recognize that we move when God moves. And that's important to teach ourselves. It says in all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above, the tabernacle would set out. And they would follow that cloud. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out. Some of us need to learn that lesson. Until God moves us, we don't move. But when God moves, we move. That old thing in Isaiah, wait upon the Lord. He'll renew your strength. A lot of us are so ambitious. Some of us want to move so quickly. We never seek direction from God. And why would the scripture says he would order your steps? But for him to order your steps, you have to be willing to learn from him. One of the first things I brought it up a couple of weeks ago one of the first thing you learn in the military and you hate it, out there marching in the sun. When I was in the Marine Corps down south, Paris Island, you'd be out on that parade ground, you'd be marching three, four hours a day. But what they were teaching us was how to march together. Right, left. Call a cadence out. Right and left. Hey. That you stay in step. Step with who? The very first person with that guy flag. We learn how to stay in step with God. And we move when God moves. And we're in step with him. And it said they would not move until that cloud moved. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was the cloud by night. In the sight of all houses of Israel doing all their travels. Now it was able to light that every house could see it. Every house would know it. That every house would obey it. Every house would get ready to move when they saw it. Every Christian doesn't have to wait for the pastor to say, Gather in march No. I want to say this carefully. All pastors don't give good marching orders. You find those who are in step with God, and you get in step. Let God tell you when to move, not the pastor. Let God tell you sometime what ministry you should be involved in. Not the pastor. Don't you know you have the gift of the Holy Spirit living within you that will direct your life? If you align to, if you open up, and he's far better than the pastor. When you hear the Holy Spirit speak to and minister to you. And it said every house knew when to get ready to move. And every house knew when it was to be still. Because they could see the cloud by day and the fire by night. They could see it. And because you have the Holy Spirit living within you, you can see it and you can know it. When God wants you to move, when God wants you to do this, when God wants you to do that, you can know it because of the person and the relationship that you have with the Holy Spirit. You can know it. And the only thing God wanted to do was dwell with His people. The second thing that came after Israel had found its own land and their king David is there and Solomon's there. God lived in a tent from the time of Moses to the time of David. God's presence on earth would be in a tent. Now that Israel is stabilized in one place, comes a temple. Not so much that God ordered a temple. Go with me to 2 Samuel 6:17, because David was going to do something. And God says, no. Put another little thing in your notebook. God is never in a hurry. And God never needs what man offers him. I don't care what you give to God. He doesn't have need of it. He allows you to give it. Because number one, he either commanded it or he receives it out of love. But he doesn't need it. He doesn't need it. He is an all-sufficient God who's able to clothe himself, house himself, feed himself, take care of himself. Have you ever thought about this? It it tells us in the beginning God created heaven and earth. Where did God dwell that before he created heaven and earth? Where did God dwell? Have you ever thought heaven was not created for him? For he lived without a heaven. Heaven was created For you and I. Not for him. He was before there was ever a heaven or earth. And he dwelt in eternity, whatever that might mean, he dwelt there. And the triune God was there by themselves. without a heaven or earth. But he created a heaven and an earth for us. Not for himself. For us. He didn't have a need for it. We do. We do. So, in that Second Samuel 6 and verse 17, look what it says. They bought the ark of the Lord and set it in the place inside the tent. Now, where is God still at? In a tent. But God's satisfied in a tent. The people have built some lavish homes. They're living comfortable. They got their swimming pools out there. Boy, they got their sunrooms out there. They got their flower rooms out there. They got four or five bedrooms with three or four bathrooms. Have any of you ever imagined, boy, there was 14 of us and we only had one bathroom. Now we have two and three bathrooms. And here, God is still in the tent. And that's where the ark would be placed. But he's in a tent. And David comes up with this bright idea. I'm going to build God a temple. But it comes in the aftermath, in a sense. Come down to chapter 7 now. After the king was settled in his palace, where is David at? Where is God at? Now, some of us could care less what God's house looked like. Now, that doesn't mean because one of the things that are taking place, that ought to teach us something, God will worship with you in a five and dime store. God will worship with you in a temple or a trailer. You don't have to have something grand for God. But one of the things we should take away from here what we desire for ourselves, we ought to desire for who? For God. We want to give we want God to give us his very best while we give him our peanuts, our unworthy stuff. And God knew us. That's why he says he would not take any blemished lamb. Because we'll be taking the deaf lamb. We'll be taking the blind lamb. We'll be taking the crippled lamb. We'll be giving him everything we don't want. And we do that today. We give him what we don't want until we learn that we can do better. Why? Because he gives us better. And and David is living in a palace. And the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. He said to Nathan, the prophet, Here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God rested a tent. The man finally woke up. The man finally sees something. Here's this holy, righteous God. The creator of the universe. The one who's given me life. He's living in a tent. That's like children. Mom and dad give all they can do to give them an education. Mom and dad do all they can do to make life better for them. And then mom and dad grows older and can't do and can't this. And they don't show up to do anything. And David wakes up. God's given me life. God made me king. God defeated all my enemies. God has given us a home here in Israel, in this land. And we're at peace. And I have a palace. All of that comes from God. Can I do better for God? Can you do better? For God. In light of what all God has given to you. And granted you. Can you do better. Than what you're doing. And he goes on. He said Nathan replied to the king. Whatever you have in mind. Go ahead and do it. For the Lord is with you. Now sometimes you don't want to listen to the prophet. (laughs) Because the prophet is assuming "Whoa! because God has done this for you, David, and this and that. Yes, you have a grand ideal. Do it, David, do it, do it, for God's with you. And God comes and speaks to David. That night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, go and tell my servant David. This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I bought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with the tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, catch that. I moved with them. I live and dwelt with them. It was not about a tent. It was about the people, my people, that I bought out of Egypt. See, it is not the beautification of a facility. It's about you and you and you and you. For God, it's about you. It's not about a facility. And even pastors have to get that straight. It's not about the facility. It's not about the building. It's about God's people. That is important. That's who Christ died for. It's the people. And he goes on, he says, I ever say to any of their rulers who I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? He never asked. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pastures and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. Remember what I said? God chases after who? God chases after us. And I have... Cut off all your enemies from before you. Who protects you? Who gives you favor? Who lifts you up? Who appoints you in places where you are today in life? Who opens doors for you? Who closes door? Who protects you? Who elevates you? Who exalts you? Who puts you in positions that you are in today? Only God. Now I will make your name great like the Names of the generation. The names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel. Look where God's heart's at. He's always interested in providing a place for who? For you. He has a place. But he's always interested in giving you a place of security. Giving you a place and he'll dwell with you wherever you're at. E.V. Hill said, boy, him and his mom, he had two moms. He called one of them mother, one of them mom. And E.V. Hill was the sixth child. And his mom couldn't feed all six children. So this other woman just down the street from them said she would take E.V. and raise her As her own. And it was only a two room shack. In Perry Texas. And that's where E.V. grew up at. And he called one mom. And the other mother. And mom said to him. You're going to graduate from school. When none of the other kids had graduated. And very few kids would graduate. And mom said. You're going to graduate from school. And the deacons in the church said, now you're asking too much because that's a big boy. That boy could be out there in the field making some money. And she said, no, he's going to finish school. To relate to what kind of little town Perry, Texas was back in those days. He went to school and he was number one in his class. He was Victoria in his class. He was head of his class because he's the only one in his class. (laughs) And he graduated. And mom said, you're going to college. And the pastor said, you're asking too much now. You don't have the money to send this boy to college. We all know that. And she said, He's going to college. But listen to what she said to him. I prayed. He's going to college. And E. V. Hill tells the story that his mom put him on the bus with $5. And he went off to college with $5 there in Texas. He said at the first stop, when the bus stopped, he kind of indulged because he spent $3 and something for that. When he arrived at school, he only had $1.82. But there's a big sign at the finance office. Either check, money order, or cash. $500. Something in that order. And he said, he's in line. And he kept repeating to himself, Mama says, she prayed for me. Mama says she prayed for me because he understood when mama didn't have no food to feed that boy, he heard mama saying, now Lord, now you gave me this big old boy and he eats. And I don't have no food here. And he said within about a half hour or so, somebody would come by and put a bag of groceries on. Whenever mama prayed, God interceded. And he said, only thing I could say, I read the sign and I only got a dollar. 82 cents, $1. 80 cents in my pocket. But I can only remember one thing mama said, I prayed. And he was the second one in line getting ready to go up to the cash up to the financial officer. And somebody tapped him on the shoulder and asked him, "Are you EV Hill?" Are you E.V. Hill from Perry, Texas? Is your pastor's name so-and-so? And E.V. said yes. And he said, I started telling the man, I only got cents, but mom sent me to college, and I don't want to get in line. I don't know what's going to happen, but mom put me in line. I don't want to get out of line. now. I've waited almost all day to get up here. said listen young man you got a four year fully paid scholarship and Ev Hill could only say mama prayed understand something you are only where you are today because somebody prayed for you somebody for you. And here's David living in the palace. God's in the tent. And the only thing God's desire is, is to be among his people. And the message to David was this you won't build the temple. Your son will. Your hands are full of sin, murder, killing. You won't build the temple. Your son will. But God makes him a promise. Turn all the way over to Acts with me. Acts chapter 2. And you can finish reading that one section there all by yourself. But run over to Acts chapter 2. The time, you know, for some reason the time beats us up every week. Go to 29 through 31 in Acts chapter 2. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him and oh, that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Who was that descendant? Jesus Christ. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of this fact. He raised up that seed that he told David. David, somebody in your lineage, somebody from your family will always sit on the throne. Always. And the temple was built that God's people and God could dwell with his people. That God would still be with his people. For they were no longer roaming to and fro or traveling throughout. They were stable. And there was a temple that was built that was stable. And God met with his people there. And God was with his people. He taught his people. Now, this last one. Yeah, the church, that there clock, boy. it'd be nice if we could stop time, wouldn't it? But, so it's going to push a little bit. This church, Now, understand something. Here comes that clothesline in a sense. God walked with Adam. God told Moses how to erect the temple. God tells Solomon to lay out the temple just larger, but in the same manner that the tabernacle itself. Was laid out. Wouldn't allow David to do it. We allowed Solomon to do it. For what purpose again? That God may dwell with his people. God called Egypt. God called Israel out of Egypt. He called them out. And he brought them to where. He is where he would meet with them, at Sinai. He came down and he dwelt to meet with his people, to educate his people. The church is not man's ideal. It's God's. When you hear a pastor say, yeah, I built my church and he ain't built nothing. God built it. Well, you hear a pastor say, Well, my church, no, he don't own nothing. It's God's church. But that's where we mix words up and we get confused by it. It's God's. And the church is a place where God's going to meet with his people collectively. And teach them. And minister to them. Go over to Matthew. Chapter 16. And verse 18. You hear it very clearly. Again. It's not man's ideal. It is God's ideal. That he's going to do this. And Jesus says. While he's talking with Peter. Peter. And he said, I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, this rock, talking about himself, not Peter. Peter is a pebble. Talking about himself, Jesus Christ. On this rock, not the pebble, but the rock. I will build my church. Again, God instituting something. I will build my church. God instituted coming down and walking with Adam in the garden. God instituted the tabernacle. God instituted the temple. He gave the design. He gave the purpose that he might dwell. And now comes this thing called the church. That God may meet with his people. For he calls them out of sin. He calls them out of darkness. He calls them out of the world. He called them just like he called Israel out of Egypt. And met with them. And he calls us today in order to meet with us. And he's established something that most of the world today takes for granted and does not want to be involved with. And it is called the church because the church is not a perfect place. It's a place where sinners come to be reconciled with God. It's a place where we come to learn how. To live as Christians. But while we're learning, we're just like children in a house. We fight brothers and sisters. We hurt each other. But it's still home. It's still home. It's still the place where we all gather around the table and eat. It's still the place where, as a family, we cry together, we laugh together, we do things together. It's still that place. And he says, I will build my church. My church. Now run over to Ephesians chapter 1, 22. Ephesians 1. 22 and 23 he says and God placed all things under his feet and anointed him to be head over everything for the church Jesus Christ is what the head in a sense you can say God is still the head we don't move for we live and have our being in who in Jesus Christ He says, "Over everything, for the church, which is His body. That's the believers now. That's the saved ones. The fullness of Him who fills everything in every way." Colossians one twenty four. Just a couple books over. Colossians one twenty four. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. For the sake of his body, which is what? The church. Now understand what Paul says. I fall short for suffering for the church like Jesus did. But I rejoice that I can. I rejoice that I can. Now, go back to Ephesians. We close out with Ephesians 3. But I want you to catch what may be the real purpose of the church. And there's more than just one, but remember, God wanted to dwell with his people. God wanted to educate his people, teach his people. We were reading in Daniel, the last part of Daniel, with the kids this morning, and it says, Boy, that God gave them knowledge and understanding. And when they went before the king, the king saw them ten times smarter than the rest of the group that was before them. As Christians, we ought to be well-rounded educationally. That doesn't mean you walk, everybody got to walk around with a doctor's degree. Everybody's not intended to go to college. But I'm going to share something with you. God's children choose to be dumb because they have a God that will give them exceptional wisdom and knowledge if they only ask for it. Somebody asked me about a week ago and to be a pastor you do you have to go to seminary? It's helpful. It gives you a little bit more tools. It allows you to understand a little bit more about Greek and Hebrew and the historical part. It does a lot of that. But no, you don't really have to because the real thing that it takes is the heart is the heart. The love of the Lord. Not the education. But the love of God within. And go ahead, let's close out with verses ten and twelve in Ephesians three. let me get there his intent was that now through the church his intent God's intent now through the church the manifold wisdom of God that God's wisdom God's knowledge would be shown and revealed and seen in the church, in the believers, in the people of God. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known. God's knowledge transferred from him to who? To us. Should be made known. That you should know how to handle your finances that you should know how to handle your marriages. You should know how to be a man of God. You should know how to be a godly husband. You should know how to be a godly wife. You should know how to be a godly father. You should know how to be a godly mother. You should know how to be a godly child. You should know how to be a godly employee. You should know how to live godly in every part of your life. should be made known to the rulers and authorities and in the heavenly realms according to the eternal purpose. The church is to do what? Is to reveal God's eternal purpose for his people. Which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. That everything we are and everything we become and everything that we do, it is because of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on our behalf on Calvary. That God can show his manifold wisdom and knowledge through each and every one of us. You know, I was telling the kids, the only way I got through college is that for every exam I would pray. And my prayer would be, Lord, would you recall, would you remind me of what I've studied? Because you can study and forget a lot. But Lord, would you remind me, would you recall it? Because see, God expects you to do the work. God expects you to study. God expects you to learn. But he'll recall it. He'll remind you of it. And he'll teach you. Whatever you have need of. If your finances are all messed up, Lord, would you teach me about finances? If your marriage is all messed up, Lord, would you teach me how to love him? Would you teach me how to love her? Would you teach me how to love your to love my children? Would you teach me, Lord? Lord, would you give me understanding? We have not because we ask not. And God wants to show his manifold wisdom through us to a dying world. God meant for us to be shining stars and the world can see us and ask this question how's that dummy making it? Because this dummy is a mule for the Lord. Because this dummy serves the one who exalts his people. And in Peter, he simply says, if you exalt yourself, if you will humble yourself under his mighty hand, in due time, he will lift you up. He will exalt you. He will cause you to shine. Any job I've ever been on, I've never asked for a promotion. They've always asked me. It is amazing what doors God has opened for me. That I never had to push. It's amazing what God does when you serve Him and you're able to see the manifold wisdom of God working through your life. Father, would you bless us, oh God? Would you speak to us? Would you take the words that have come from your pages and somehow, Lord, cause us to gurgitate them? It is not what is said. It is what you have said that is important. Would you, in your own way, speak to each one of our hearts? Would you, in your own way, meet with us either in your tabernacle, your temple, or your church, would you, O God, dwell with us and minister to us? We have need of you, Lord. We cannot take ourselves up to heaven, but Lord, you can come right here